because when you have this discussion, there are actually three terms that are used. You do have decriminalization versus criminalization used, but you also have the word legalization. But everybody would say in all three camps, human trafficking is bad. We want to stop that. And we, for those people who are being forced into it, tricked into whatever, or being kept in it, even if they started willingly, they want to get out of it. You know, we want to address that. And we're all criminalizing that. So across the board, all three viewpoints look at human trafficking as wrong. In season four, we are giving a voice to the often voiceless victims of trafficking and exploitation. We will share about people who are more at risk for human trafficking and why they are commonly overlooked. At Freedom 424, we believe every human life deserves to be free from exploitation and trafficking. We are dedicated to educating our sphere of influence to protect the vulnerable. Our vision at Freedom 424 remains the same, to live in a world where slavery is eradicated and justice prevails. I'm Jacob Valliere. And I'm Emily Worsham. And this is The Compelled Podcast. This podcast engages in conversations that may be sensitive for some. Thank you for listening. Today we're going to be talking about the difference between decriminalization and criminalization of sex work. You may understand this question and have heard it said that should prostitution be illegal or legal? It's a topic that is controversial. People often have different opinions and there are pros and cons to both. But why are we talking about this today? Awareness and education is at the core of what we do at Freedom 424 and this is an issue we want you to be aware of and educated on. Our goal is not to persuade you into a specific stance, but to learn both sides and understand more about sex work and sexual exploitation. At Freedom 424, we will always be victim-focused and do what's best for victims. So this topic is important to understand what some victims go through and how laws affect them. Today we are joined by Patrick McKenna, the president and co-founder of the Human Trafficking Justice and Freedom International. We've had Patrick on the Compelled podcast before. Patrick, how are you doing? Doing fine, Jacob. Thank you for having me today. Yes, thank you for being with us and having a much-needed discussion with us. So if you could just start by explaining your role with your organization and uh, how you got started. Sure, I'd be happy to, and I'll try to keep it brief. The Human Trafficking Justice and Freedom International is actually a relatively new organization, though it's grown out of my previous work with Virginia Beach Justice Initiative, where I was a co-founder and acting executive director for many years. Both organizations really designed to fight human trafficking. The newest organization, though, is designed to focus on the legal needs of human trafficking survivors beyond criminal defense. And I found with the prior organization that we were able to get a lot of training done with those working in the criminal arena. So to start, let's just give a very basic, simple understanding of what we mean when we say decriminalization versus criminalization of sex work. And so could you give us a better understanding of what this means and the difference between the two? Sure. But I have to throw in a third word, really, because when you have this discussion, there are actually three terms that are used. You do have decriminalization versus criminalization used, but you also have the word legalization, Mm -hmm. uh, and they are not the same. I mean, sometimes there's overlap between them and how, and I got to tell you, as many countries as are dealing with this issue, as many states in the union, there are different ways of trying to address these issues. So let's start, I just introduced this new word, let's start with legalization. Okay, legalization says we are no longer going to criminalize anybody who is involved in the sex industry, so to speak. So you can potentially run a brothel, you can 
where people are being bought and sold, and you can have independent people involved with that. You can have a manager involved with that. Basically, you're putting legal parameters. To legalize, you're putting legal parameters on where it can happen, how it can happen, and potentially how much can be charged, different protections that should be in place for workers. So that is a big thing, and that is something that's kind of being pushed in certain states within the United States at this moment as we are having this conversation, such as New York and, and California. And I know things have been doing to fully legalize it, but that those in what is called a commercial sex industry, there are certain within that industry that are I call it industry that are working to take that tact, and so that way then you could con, con, government would have control, and you would be able to tax it, and you'd be able to get money that would come in and benefit, and then maybe pay for social service things and healthcare and different things that are needed for those who are involved in the commercial that commercial sex area. Then there is the issue of criminalization. The United States, on whole, except for I think eight counties in Nevada, criminalize either the sale or the purchase of prostitution or sexual services. And that position, basically, everybody's guilty. So if you're selling, if you're recruiting, if you're purchasing, basically everybody can potentially go to jail in the United States, pay fines, etc. And then the decriminal area, we're talking about, we're still actually criminalizing some aspects of it, but we're choosing to decriminalize certain portions of it. So generally, when you talk about decriminalization, you're not talking about totally throwing out all the criminal laws, but we're talking usually about, and again, this is maybe an exception out there right now, somebody could correct me, but mm-hmm. on the large part, we're talking, like say, for example, it's called the Nordic model, which some people disputed whether it's really consistent because within certain countries that are within the North, began with Sweden back in the late 90s saying, we think prostitution is a human rights violation, that there is no possible way to do it in a way that actually honors and removes objectification of women or men. But we don't want to criminalize those who find themselves in circumstances where they feel like that's their only choice. We want to get them help services, provide them avenues out of that so that they can, you know, they don't have to feel like that's their only way out. But they do. They increase then criminalization of the buyer. So that's still in place. And criminalization of those who are coercing, forcing, uh, tricking those into being in that space where they're being sold. So so you've got this kind of these three things going forward. And there's some overlap because even in the legalization area, everybody would say, well, human trafficking. And that would be the involuntary, they would call it. So it would, they would say, hey, there's a voluntary prostitution, people wanting to do this. They no compulsion. It's their free choice. They have control over their body. Person purchasing has control. It's a contractual relationship. That, you know, those people would be the one camp. And then you've got these other, you know, you got the criminalization. So no, it's no good. And then you've got in the, well, criminalized and decriminalized. But everybody would say in all three camps, human trafficking is bad. And we want to stop that. And we, for those people who are being forced into it, tricked into whatever, or being kept in it, even if they started willingly, they want to get out of it. You know, we want to address that. And we're all criminalizing that. So across the board, all three viewpoints look at human trafficking as wrong and through forced labor, coercion, or fraud that would remove voluntariness. Thank you for laying out the groundwork on defining those three key elements to this discussion. As we move more into defining what we are discussing today, would you mind explaining to us what the law in the majority of the states is right now? Yeah, so I kind of alluded to it a little earlier, but it is criminalization really in every one of the 50 states. And then you have within the state of Nevada, you have, Nevada has made it possible that certain people could kind of opt in to legalizing essentially prostitution. 
So you have eight counties, mostly in more rural areas, that where prostitution is legal. So set within certain parameters, they actually have brothels. And within those brothels, you say that some people are have managers. We call them pimps or traffickers. And then you have those who are do not appear to have any independent control. The women or men working within those places, those establishments, if they're in that place space, are generally paying some sort of percentage to the brothel owner for being able to be in that place, that space, and the other facilities that are maintained there. And then whatever they get beyond that, then it's theirs to keep. Otherwise, we're talking about criminalization across the other 49 plus states. And anywhere else other than those eight counties, like you go to Las Vegas, Nevada, it is illegal. Prostitution is legal in Nevada, uh, Las Vegas or any of the other uh, metropolitan areas we know or... Okay, so then if that's the case, then why are some individuals trying to change this law or change these laws that these states have? Well, we can go back to, say, the legalization argument. I was just reading an article from somebody from the Harvard Civil Rights or Civil Liberties Law Review yesterday. This idea that if we legalize it, we will then basically elevate prostitution and it will allow us then to bring governmental control to it. It will allow us to weed out the bad elements to make it easier for us to prosecute those who are exploiting others and give those who are voluntarily wanting to use their body as commodity to sell it, to rent it out, so to speak, to others to enter into whatever sexual actions they do in that exchange, that would actually improve them. We would be elevating it and we would remove some of the, what everybody admits is extremely inherently dangerous industry. They believe that that will somehow elevate the discussion, will allow us to tax it, so we'll bring in revenues, because obviously people, men are the principal drivers as far as demand is concerned. That's pretty universally accepted. And so we then can tax the monies and we bring it in and then we can provide other services. And by continuing to criminalize it, we basically keep those women or men in the dark, in the shadows. They they can't come forward to get help because they'll be criminalized. So therefore, we're perpetuating and not helping those people that are there. And the ones who, again, are voluntarily there, don't have the history or not being abused and forced to be there, they should have the right to enter into voluntary contracts with those who want to purchase the services from them. It's their right. It actually elevates women or men to be able to sell themselves, to have the legal right to do that if they want to. So it's about human rights from that perspective. The, the legal that's the legal argument that somehow if we legitimize this then we will will actually improve the lot for those who are wanting to work in this area they should have the freedom to do what they want to do with their bodies and that means selling it to somebody then they should have the power to do that it's actually empowering we just need to set the norms so that there's protections in place etc so let's break down the pros and cons of each and we'll start with sex work being illegal also known as the criminalization of sex work what kind of abuses do sex workers face through sex work being illegal and why do people want it to be illegal okay so that's a great question i think i alluded earlier to the inherent violence that is associated with those working in selling themselves and or being sold probably be the the reality because the level of women or men that are exposed or subjected to extreme forms of violence as part of the sexual experience is huge. Most of women and men working in the area of prostitution would note having been raped 70 plus percent of the time. Of course, so, so at some point that voluntariness, voluntariness element we're talking about has been removed. Extreme forms of violence to them 
um, shooting, cutting, burning. One of the first survivors I had the opportunity, survivor advocates I had the opportunity to work with, you know, her story was being basically chained to a bed where they brought the men to her. She was 14 years old. And one man who came to her, his fantasy was to, to basically have sex and then burn the person with whom he was having sex. So he lit her up. Unfortunately, she survived that horrific experience. But while that seems extreme, unfortunately, the level of violence that's perpetrated on people within this area is staggering. Um, the level of trauma can be that uh, survivors coming out of this, out of prostitution we'll talk about, is akin to those who've been in extreme combat situations. So they have severe forms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, all manner of other mental health issues that are related to what they've experienced in the industry. The amount of manipulation, even if they were somehow voluntarily entering at some point when they recognized was what's really involved because they don't have any experience before that the avenue to get out becomes limited to them because usually somebody else a third party is in control and so part of the recognition within the criminalization area is that in fact the overwhelming majority of women and men who are currently being involved in prostitution are not there voluntarily. I, studies that have been done, I think the minimum was like 89% of those there would get out if they thought there was some way out. And that's inter, that's internationally. And other studies, 94, 95%, I was on a panel with a survivor advocate and she corrected me when I said, I went with the low number, you know, just in case there were people wanted to be critical. I went with the lower number, I said, you know, 89% are not there. And she said, Patrick, the number is way up in the 96, 97%. The people that are there. This is somebody who came out, who was was able to, you know, somebody saw the situation, was able to help her uh, get out of it. That's somebody who was there, saw and experienced and I, over and over again, talking to survivor advocates and survivors that we've worked with through varying organizations, the same story. They were not there voluntarily. And so those in the criminalization area are saying, we need to shut this down from every angle. And personally, I'm not sure that that's the right solution, that we penalize those who are being victimized, because currently, unfortunately, one of the backlashes of criminalization is that those who are being victimized are being criminalized as well. And that is wrong. Decriminalization. Thank you for sharing those stories of the survivors that you have spoken to and worked with because I feel like those are very important stories that we need to hear when we are pondering this discussion. Talking about sex work being legal or the decriminalization of sex work. So we just went over the pros and cons of it being illegal. So why would someone want to decriminalize sex work and how does that help the victim? All right. So if we look at Sweden was probably the first one to launch out into this arena and there often others countries that followed have kind of modeled them, not necessarily duplicated, but have taken kind of this tact. And that is for decriminalization, the basic premise of it is that we will not victimize the women currently in our country or men. We won't victimize them. We won't arrest them for selling. So they, in fact, can sell. But we will criminalize the buyer. And we will criminalize uh, those who manipulating who are trafficking and so we will criminalize continue to criminalize them and we'll set harsher penalties on them and it, again it varies by country and for example norway even goes to the point of pr prosecuting those of its citizens that go to another country because one of the criticisms of sweden's model was that well what you're doing is just that the buyers are just going to other countries yeah they may not purchase 
maybe not be a person in Sweden, but we haven't solved the problem. We're just we're just pushing it over to somebody else. So Norway said, well, okay, we're going to take out of that too. We're going to enact legislation that penalizes those of our citizens that go somewhere else to purchase. We're going to do that. And in fact, Virginia has a law that just was passed where you can now be prosecuted for uh, helping to arrange a sex trip to another country. Um, it's a first-class misdemeanor in Virginia. So in the decrim area, we'd be saying, okay, we're going to criminalize again that because we recognize that buyer demand, the buyers are driving this. There'd be no need to for women or men to offer themselves or to be offered if nobody were purchasing. And therefore, and as far as gender equality, in a gender equal society, men don't regard women as merchandise. And so that's Sweden's that Sweden and those who follow that model are saying. So so we're gonna offer services to those who are selling. If we intercept them in the the process of somebody trying to purchase happening, we arrest the buyer. If there's a trafficker involved, we try to get to him and then we will offer services to the survivor. If they're from another country, we'll see is it possible to help get home. If that's not possible, how can we help them get situated here? We offer them services, we offer them training, we offer them education, we offer them the different maybe substance abuse counseling, mental health counseling, in order to be able to help them have a path, a way out of where they are. So through what lens do you think listeners should form their opinion on this topic? We've talked about a lot of things, we've looked at a lot of different viewpoints, and there's been a lot of really good things said between the both of us, I think, and very helpful towards this conversation. So how should listeners walk away from this discussion and form their opinion well do some research you know listen to this podcast a couple of times over to get the nuances because there is a lot involved with the discussion it's not simple but if we're willing to do some of that hard work become educated it'll go 100 miles toward addressing the issue with holding our legislators accountable to deal with the fact that we have thousands and thousands of women and men in our country who've been victimized who shouldn't have been How, what are we going to do about that what kind of thing can we do to allow them to remove those criminal records that are huge barriers to getting them all the help they need? You know, so that's the thing we should be taking is what action can I take? And they may only be one thing. And that's the thing we should emphasize, I think, for people today is that, look, you can't do everything. You know, nobody can do everything. But together, if we as a community recognize and recognize inherent humanity and, you know, what we say, all men are created equal, right? One of our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, we create this. Okay, it's a, it's a challenge to us to undo that very thing, okay, to allow that reality to come true for everybody. So that means that it requires me to do something. I can't do everything, but I can do something. So what is one thing I can do today that can help um, address this issue and remove se- exploitation and give empowerment and help those who want to transition out of this, what has been happening to them, what they've been participating in, that can you know make a change, what can I do? And you think, well, it's too big. We'll break it down just by listening to this podcast or having somebody else listen to this podcast. So that we begin to think about these and have real dialogue and don't try to sweep things under the rug, you know, as to the negatives of our position, but rather address them so that we're dealing with these realities. Otherwise, we're not going to effectively address the solution. It takes the community. It takes these various sectors. And to get yourself more educated and invite other people to the discussion um, and to look at it. Um, you can call your legislator. And, you know, when we talked about this area that people have been victimized, and you can call them and say, what are you doing to help put laws in place so that these people who have been victimized, wrongly victimized, can get those criminal records released. There is a former legislator in Virginia who began taking action legislatively because people called him and said, what are you doing about this issue? And he got himself educated and he began introducing great legislation that really moved the, the needle in terms of addressing those who've been victimized. So, and putting tools in place for those who are trying to get at the perpetrators. So we all can do something. So just 
ask yourself, what could I do today? It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be end world slavery. It is, what could mm -hmm. I do today? There's, you know, so you could write your congressman, you could talk to a friend, you could do some more education, read an article, and that can make a big difference in, you know, addressing this. Yeah, absolutely. And um, of course, we want to thank you for all that you have discussed with us today. It has all been so unbelievably helpful. And it is a conversation that we really wanted to have on our Compiled podcast. And we are very glad to have had you be a part of this discussion. We ask all our guests this at the end of every episode. What compels you in this fight against human trafficking? And how can our listeners get in touch with you and support the work that you guys are doing? Well, I mentioned my daughter earlier, and you know, I first got involved in this fight. It was ahead. It was kind of like the mentality: "Hey, I'm using my law degree to help this fight this battle." But it really was more of a mental issue, you know, kind of a feel good. I saw a documentary, and during that documentary, I just heard this little voice go off: "These women that you're hearing, this there was a, an ex pimp who was telling his story, and he said, you know, we treat dogs better than we treat these women, those who are being victimized, because at least we take our dogs out several times a day to go to the bathroom." And then I heard that little voice go off in my head, and, uh, and this could be your daughter, because they also showed a kind of reenactment of a young woman who was kept in a room, and she was she was filmed, so she was like on those live video cams, like voluntarily supposedly doing these sexual acts, and at the same time she was being sold, she was being doubly victimized, and that was really the reality. And I thought, no God, this should not be anybody's daughter, not should be anybody's friend co-worker, you know, neighbor, anyone, nobody should be brutalized, victimized like this. And so I, therefore, it went from my head to my heart. And that is what has pretty much driven me, compelled me that, that nobody, that everyone should have the right to that, to explore their dreams as my daughter has. And um, being able to do so many of the things she wants to do is rejoicing with her last night as she's working in a field that she just loves and has dreamed about doing most of her life, you know, so that's, that's the opportunity we want for everyone. And that, that's what kind of compels me. Uh, related to getting in touch with my work, um, if you'd like to get involved in the policy legislation, call in the legislature or whatever, learning a little more about that, they can go to uh, the website, www.vcat, that's V as in Virginia, C as in coalition, a against H human T trafficking. So it's www.vcaht.org. I can get more information there. I can sign a petition that's on the site. It could be a one thing that they do today. And then as far as my new organization, Human Trafficking Justice and Freedom International, our official launch actually is coming up. So I don't have an official website, but stay tuned. There will be a website. There will be an opportunity to participate if you're in the Hampton Roads region. You can reach me actually, I think through my office number. And that office number is 757-354-1707. Or you can email me at my full name, Patrick J as in Joseph McKenna, M-C-K-E-N-N-A dot H-T-J-F-I at gmail.com. And I can provide you more information, potential for volunteer giving, that sort of thing. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform and leave a rating. Consider becoming an ally today and help us prevent and end exploitation and trafficking at freedom424.org slash ally. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Freedom424. Thank you for listening.